This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene had an interesting exchange recently with Democrat Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at former President Trump's rally in Ohio. Greene referred to AOC as the little communist from New York City. And then AOC tweeted about it with this comment. First of all, I'm taller than her. Greene's response to that but you're still a commie. Now, isn't isn't it interesting that when AOC is called out as a communist, her objection comes down to the height angle and not the communist angle? I find that very, very intriguing. What's really going on in America today, not just with AOC and her radical cohorts, but with all the rest of the chaos and destruction and identity politics and civilizational breakdown that is occurring at the hands of the left? Well, as my next guest says, every single radical agenda at work in the world today comes comes directly from the mind and work of Karl Marx, which is why we have to understand him and also the men who helped carry out his agenda in the past. It's the only way to truly understand what today's leftists are doing and how to stop them. So we're going to talk about it all today with Jim Simpson. He is an investigative journalist, businessman, and former economist and budget examiner for the White House Office of Management and Budget. And he has written a critically important book. It is called Who Was Karl Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging American Left. Jim, Great to welcome you back. How have you been? Hey, Janet. Great to be with you. Well, I'm doing okay. Good. Uh, given what insanity in the world that surrounds us, but I'm doing fine. How are you? Well, I'm doing fine, and I'm glad you're here. I like that word rampaging. Ah. That That is a great adjective to throw in there. The American left really is rampaging. I mean, that's a really good description. Yeah, no, it's exactly what, what it is. That's exactly who they are and what they're really about. And uh, they're finally, they've come completely out of the closet now to present to us exactly who and what they really are. We know that stuff has been swirling in the background and occasionally it pops up. But this past year, the past four years, really under the Trump presidency, but especially this past year, they have gone just totally off the rails and presented themselves for exactly who and what they are. Yeah, you know what's really shocking? And when I read this statement that you say in your book, I'm sure it will shock a lot of people. But you have said we're actually witnessing a communist overthrow of the United States in real time. Now, some people will focus on Antifa. Well, they're just anarchists or we have all these different streams of people coming together. This is just general chaos. Why do you think we're witnessing a communist overthrow of the U.S.? What what should we be looking at to understand why that's the case? Well, you have to understand that the left, I, I describe it, it's kind of like an amoeba. It's this shapeless, formless thing that when it comes near prey, suddenly it takes shape and its arms encircle the prey and eventually envelop it. Hmm. It's an amorphous blob, but it in fact is 
organize. And people like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, uh, AOC, people like that, the people that present themselves to the world as real extremists, they give the other people, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, all of these other politicians who are every bit as radical in their outlooks, in their designs, and in their intentions, gives them cover to present a somewhat dialed-back version of the lunacy. So, you know, when, when AOC first came out with the Green New Deal, everybody said, she's nuts. Yes. But now what do you see? Components of the Green New Deal, uh, enclosed in this supposed, this so-called infrastructure bill. Yes. So it's really these lunatics, they present the true face of this organization, but they give the other people who are actually uh, much more influential individually cover to, uh, to, to present and advance the agenda. Well, right. I, and you're, it's not like they need to be told either. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not on conference calls. Antifa isn't on conference calls with Nancy Pelosi. They uh, have their own organization, and uh, but they know what to do, and uh, they are led, although the leadership is very thorough, carefully hidden, and we only saw it come out a few times during those riots yes. with men walking around and paying people, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. And, and it's kind of funny because when Barack Obama was our president and everybody was talking about his ties to uh, Saul Alinsky and uh, Frank yeah. Marshall Davis and all that and all the discuss, discussion that we had at the time about communism, Biden was his vice president, but Biden somehow, uh, according to the mainstream press, is still wearing this uh, laughable, moderate label they're trying to, you know, show it, Leah, right. Okay, yeah, we've been watching and paying attention. But here's the important thing. It, what is it about Karl Marx that people need to relearn or learn for the first time? Because I fear there are too many Americans today who didn't have the slightest idea about Marx and who he really was. And he was a horrendous human being. Oh, yeah, he was the bottom of the barrel, most decidedly. And, you know, he demonstrated all of the characteristics of those people he claimed to hate and wanted to see destroyed. He was thoroughly bigoted and prejudiced. He hated blacks, was in favor of slavery. Uh, You know, he said, workers of the world, you have nothing to lose but your chains. But in the background, he called the proletariat, those cherished workers, rogue, stupid boys. Mm. He even spied on his communist friends to get paid by the German government. He was a spoiled, rat, rich son of a very wealthy German attorney. And he squandered all his money on booze and women uh, he impregnated his own maid and then accused his partner, 
tried with Angles of being the one, and Angles, in order to protect him, raised the kid as his own and only admitted that it was actually Marx's on his deathbed. Gosh. He never bathed. His mother said, instead of changing the world, Carl ought to just try changing his underpants. <laughs> and she hurried him weekly to change his underwear. Spoken like a mom. Yeah. And the thing is, he is a personality type. The Castro brothers were the same way. They were wealthy sons of a uh, plantation owner. And all these people, uh, they're self-righteous, enlightened, elitists who think that the world owes them something, and they don't have to do anything for it. And the thing about communism, most people consider Marxism or communism to be uh, an an idea for an economic system where the uh, resources of a society are distributed equally among the people. So it's an egalitarian system. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. That's the sales pitch. Hmm. But the reality is that it is a system that seeks absolute control over resources and over people. And those who uh, promote it, those who want to be part of a communist government, are people to look looking for absolute power and the wealth that goes with it. Yep. You can't discount the wealth because all of these people become very, very wealthy, and you never hear about that. Yep, that's so true. There's a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a short pause. Jim Simpson with us. We'll come back talking about who was Karl Marx on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 Bibleist believers in Africa, in many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique. As many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me, and now it will means so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique. One occasion, I found a pastor that was leading a church of 90 church members. And he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the church with that Bible. So, when we went to give them the Bible, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20 $500 sends 100 and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible that 
Pastor, I understand you work with Bible, but we don't have Bibles here. So they, they, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that? So there is a great need of Bibles. Send God's word to a Bibleist believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800-YESWORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's always great to have you here and great to have with us Jim Simpson. I love his stuff. He's out with a new book, Who Was Karl Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging American Left. You made a great point, Jim, before we went to that last break, that people who believe Marxism and or communism is just about a wonderful economic system that will, you know, make sure everything is distributed evenly and there's equity for all. But really, this is just a way of seizing absolute control over resources and people and the people who are getting wealthy are the people who are promising that they're going to make things right. I mean, it's so gross when you look at this and you, you take it in the context of history. I, I also am interested, though, for you to talk about this name of one of the men that you mentioned in the book that maybe people are not familiar with, Sergei Nechev, who wrote the Revolutionary Catechism, which is a blueprint, as you say, for the left strategy. How does that fit into the Marxist scheme? Because that this is just a horror story when I was reading about him. Well, uh, it's pretty amazing. He's probably the most important radical nobody's ever heard of. And I've done, uh, you know, conferences all over the United States where I've presented uh, these ideas. And I always ask people in the beginning, uh, who's heard of him? And you have 500 people in the room, maybe one or two at the most will raise their hands. He was a... uh, anarchist who existed in the mid-1800s, and he wrote the Revolutionary Catechism. Now, in his day, he was very, very well known. Uh, Dostoevsky wrote a book about him called The Demons, Yes, and that's exactly what these people were. Uh, They were anarchists. They were, they called themselves nihilists. His group, uh, orchestrated the successful assassination of Tsar Alexander II in 1881, and Lenin's older brother tried to repeat the performance a couple of years later, and he was caught and executed, and that may have uh, turbocharged Lenin's hatred for the uh, Russian system. Yes. But... But uh, uh, Nechayev wrote the Revolutionary Catechism, which is the blueprint for communist revolution. And it's stunning how much is in there and how much we see uh, coming out of different sources that take the credit. But most of those ideas for communist revolution originated uh, with him. Well, it's very important for people to read. So when when you are looking at the Revolutionary Catechism, what do you draw out of that particular blueprint that you think people need to know about? Well, first of all, the intentions. And Nechayev, Lenin, I mean, excuse me, Marx and Engels, in fact, all of the radicals of the day, made it very clear that their sole focus was destroying the current order. Hmm. And they meant burning everything down, destroying everything about Western civilization, root and branch. But Nechayev 
made all of that very, very clear. And he said, for example, the only form of revolution beneficial to the people is one which destroys the entire state to its roots and exterminates all the state traditions, institutions, and classes. Our task is terrible, total, universal, and merciless destruction. Now consider the fact that he was 22 years old when he wrote that. (laughs) This is a guy who went for school for three years and, 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 and taught at a local parish school, and he has the arrogance to believe that they are justified in destroying the entire world. It's stunning. But Amazing. to me, the most important uh, statement that he makes is in the, adi- in, in, the, the uh, catechism is broken down into four parts. And in Section 4, the attitude of the Society of Revolutionaries towards the people, that means you and me, he says, the society has no aim other than the complete liberation and happiness of the masses. Mm. However, convinced that their emancipation and the achievement of this happiness can only come about as a result of an all-destroying popular revolt, The Society of Revolutionaries will use all its resources and energy towards increasing and intensifying the evils and miseries of the people until at last their patience is exhausted and they are driven to a general uprising. Isn't that a perfect description of what's going on today? Oh, it's absolutely a perfect description. It makes me think of that old line from Monty Python, you know, you're going to be sentenced to hang by the neck until you cheer up here in Happy Valley. I mean, your happiness is going (laughs) to, your happiness is on the way, just we have to make you miserable first and wipe out a few million people along the way, and then you'll be really supremely happy. Yeah, first we have to clean the slate, destroy the world as it exists, And then once we've cleared away all the garbage, now we can start. But the trouble is they never get that far. And they don't really know what they're going to bring forward except for this nebulous concept of Marxist economics, which is really, it's a joke. And any first-year econ student can see through it. But the arrogance that drives these people blinds them to the reality. And, uh, you know, I want to read something else. Um, Hold on. Let me find it here. Because the idea of this is is not really new, but nobody knows about it. Who these people uh, are presented to be versus who and what they really are. They are all basically greedy grifters, and I call them entrepreneurial parasites. Perfect. Because they see in advancing communism a way for them to insinuate themselves into positions of power and wealth where they'll never have to do anything and they can act like gods. And this was pointed out by the late John Roche, who was a counselor to both President's Kennedy and Johnson, he was a democratic socialist, and he was the co-founder of Americans for Democratic Action. However, he knew that the communists were really bad, so he supported the Vietnam War. 
And, of course, then he was banished by his fellow leftists. Spent the rest of his life writing for the National Review. Mm. But he said this, Most analyses of Marxism-Leninism are philosophical exercises conducted in the intellectual stratosphere. This approach has a limited utility, but is based on a deeply flawed premise that Marxism-Leninism is a form of high theory rather than an operational code for a new-style mafia far more interested in finding a rationale for seizing or wielding power than in liberating prisoners of starvation or the wretched of the earth. That's good. He said that in 1971. That's great. Exactly right. Yeah, it is. So here we are. We have the Biden administration moving forward on the greatest threat to national security, which is apparently white nationalism, which is laughable in its insanity. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly, you know, Christians, Trump supporters, white people, conservatives, they're the biggest threat to America, not the people who are out burning down Portland on a nightly basis or, you know, causing mayhem in the streets in New York City. Those people are fine. It's, it's, you know, the people who show up at patriotic rallies that are the problem. What do you do about this? Because we have a system that is, you know, very, very willing to kill people or harm people or jail people or torture people in order to achieve its ends. Do you see that sort of future emerging in America if we don't fight back? Well, you can see it happening right now. Yep. I mean, you can see the one-sided treatment of the people who were, in my mind, goaded into going into the Capitol, and I've always believed that that was a total setup, and now they, uh, that is coming to light. Yep. And it may have even been set up by the FBI, which is almost incomprehensible, but the FBI at the top, top levels has been penetrated by leftists, if not communists. And, you know, even when I worked at OMB in the 80s and 90s, I saw how the bureaucracy, for one thing, is very, it was always very liberal because liberals find their employment in government. That's a big attraction. Sure. And so just naturally, they're more inclined to take government jobs than conservatives who are people who are generally you know, risk takers, they're uh, uh, entrepreneurial types. And, um, but the bureaucracy, the leaders of the bureaucracy knew which side of the bread uh, they got their butter on. And right. it was always the Democrats, even when the Republicans were in power, because the Democrats had held a disproportionate majority in both houses of Congress for almost the entire time since FDR. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones in control of the budget. And the, the uh, leaders, the bureaucratic leaders of those agencies would bend over backwards to uh, uh, please liberal Democrat appropriators. That's why we got the raid on Waco, because the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms wanted to impress the appropriators and get more money. They were jealous of the amount of money that the FBI got, and I know that because I was on the phone with them, hearing them complain about it. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what, Jim? I wish we had a lot more time to talk about this, but people have got to pick up your book, Who Was Karl Marx? by Jim Simpson. Always appreciate your great work, Jim. Thanks so much for being with us again. It was great to have you. 
Thanks, Janet. Great to be with you. All right. You take care. Thanks again. Jim Simpson. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, let's see. By my account, Ed Litton has been president of the Southern Baptist Convention for, what is it now, two weeks? And how many scandals has he been involved in? Well, let's see. There was the heresy scandal of putting up the heresy of partialism on his church website. And the minute a messenger got on the floor and pointed it out, boom, it was gone off the website. And Ed Litton got up to the mic and never even talked about it. So there was no discussion discussion of whether or not he really was the heretic that the doctrinal statement initially showed him to be. And then I got the statement from the SBC media relations representative that, oh, Ed Litton didn't even know it was up there. And I said, uh, okay, yeah, right. Okay, sure. He didn't know it was up there. I mean, yes, I'm skeptical. You can read what I wrote over at my blog. I think it's baloney. These people must have thought I was born yesterday and that you were born yesterday. So that was the first thing. Then we had the plagiarism scandal, which we got into a couple of days ago in great detail, where he plagiarized immediate past president of the SBC, J.D. Greer, in his sermon on Romans 1. Guess what, though? There's more. Oh, yes, there's more. Now, all I can say about all of this is this doesn't surprise me at all, because back in 2013, when I was exposing the plagiarism of Mark Driscoll, it did not shock me that once I found some, I kept finding more and more and more. Why wouldn't you? Because they just think they can get away with whatever they're doing because they got away with it the first time, maybe the second time, maybe the third time. I don't know where this is all going to end, but now we have evidence from a keen-eyed, well, Christian, let's say, because I don't know exactly who unearthed this, but it was on social media under the For Glory Org Twitter handle. In a November 2020 interview, Ed Litton admitted and laughed that he used to lie about his sermon preparation time. Hmm, let's listen to it. This is cut one. To be very honest, I used to lie. I used to tell people, you know, 24, 24 hours of sermon, you know. Uh, if you're, you could, you could spend too much time. You're dorking around doing something else with your head. But, but I actual, and by the way, let me say this too. When you're younger, it's going to take longer. Right. The older you get. And it's not that you're pulling up old stuff, but there is a resource of material um, and, and there's connectivity there that, that will come. Uh, but I would say eight to 10 hours average, eight to 10 hours. And not all of that is some that's exegetical work, getting in the dirt. Some of it is organizing the thought. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. He just flat out says, I used to lie. I used to tell people I took 24 hours to prepare a sermon, but turns out it was only eight to 10 hours average. I just used to lie. This is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And this was from something called healthy sermon preparation. (laughs) I can't handle this. I can't handle this anymore. The irony here, he was doing this interview with Sermonary. I've never heard of this. 
healthy sermon preparation. I guess the first thing that you need to know if you're preparing a sermon is lie about how long it took you to prepare your sermon. Well, how long does it take to plagiarize a sermon? I'd like to know that. But wait, there's more because he also admitted to making up a sermon illustration. This is cut two. And the other thing too is, you know, creativity, which is very challenging and very, very, for a lot of people, you don't think of yourself as creative. Right. I am a creative, but but I have to be careful with my creativity. I have to, you know, there's some lines I don't want to cross and there's, but at the same time I have freedom. Yeah. And it's interesting. I preached a sermon recently where I opened up this, I think this, this may have been the one you were talking about. Um, but I opened it with a story of a Roman soldier mm-hmm. that, that I made up. And uh, what I took is some ideas that I know are true. And he encounters this boy outside of Nazareth and the boy, uh, he's with a gaggle of Jewish boys. And when they see that he's a Roman, they start throwing rocks at him, but not this kid. And he wants to get one of them to carry his backpack one mile because he could do that. That's the rule of the Roman road. Wow. And um, this one kid volunteered. He talks, asks him questions about himself, was interested in his life, talked to him about God. They're on this trip and he goes to the first mile marker. He thinks he's going to drop his backpack. And the kid doesn't. He keeps walking. He goes the second mile, third mile, fourth mile, fifth mile. Finally, the guy stops and says, go home. Anyway, he's, he, it makes an impression on this young Roman soldier. 20 years later, he's a centurion. And they, he, gets, he gets a note that he has to go do an execution. Goes up there. And, he's, and I talked about his eyes. He sees something in his eyes. And he sees a smile on his face. Believe it or not, even while he's being executed. And he, it, it, it stirs that memory. And he begins to consider it. And then he says... Obviously, this was the Son of God. So mm-hmm. that was an introduction uh, tool. Yeah. Sorry. I went well, and that sounds like, sounds like somebody needs to buy the movie rights to that. He just made up a sermon illustration. I just, it was a story. I told it about a Roman centurion. I just made it up. But doesn't it make you want to unearth every interview that Ed Litton ever did and every sermon Ed Litton ever did? And by the way, even Newsweek reported on this. This is the headline on Newsweek, folks. This isn't Christianity Today. This is Newsweek. Pastor Ed Litton removes over 140 video sermons after being accused of plagiarism. The first thing that I said to my husband after I read that headline is I said, well, you've just unleashed the hordes to go to the Wayback Machine because the minute you start taking stuff down from your website, you'll make all kinds of people that much more determined to dig it up and see what you were trying to hide. You know why? Because I've lived this movie before. I've seen this with Driscoll. So here we are again. Apparently nobody learned from this in 2013. Ed Litton needed to pay attention how the plagiarism thing went for Driscoll back then and how hiding things never turns out well. Well, it hasn't turned out well. Here's an update. This is from Reformation Charlotte. They report Ed Litton plagiarizes yet another entire sermon from J.D. Greer. They put out a video It's about 12 and a half minutes long. I don't have time to play it all for you, but I'll just give you a little taste of it. Listen to cut three. There are two primary things that I believe you and I are to glean from this passage. If you're taking notes, this will be your outline for today. The first is we can see the responsibilities of those who govern. We can see the responsibilities of those who govern. This is, if you will, a kind of job description for the government. I want to talk about two things this morning. I want to talk about the responsibility of government. The second thing you'll see, and this is the most important part, the responsibility of those who are governed. That's most of us. And I want to talk about the responsibility of the governed. You think that many of our leaders are batty, and for good cause, I might add. But Caligula, who was Caesar around this time, 
It was a Roman emperor by the name of Caligula. Caligula was unfit to keep a pet, let alone run an empire. Now, let me just say up front, he wasn't, he wasn't worthy of having a pet, much less being an emperor. This is just absolutely incredible. And, and who knows where it will all end, like I said. Now we've got yet another sermon where Ed Litton purportedly plagiarized J.D. Greer. What's going on behind the scenes in the SBC? Because that's a little weird. You think if they actually had an honest conversation behind the scenes when the first version of plagiarism came out, they would have said, well, what about the other thing that you plagiarized for me? Oh, yeah, we better figure that out. Oh, we better come up with some sort of an excuse. Oops. What are they going to do now? What are they going to do now? Now, here's what I find just incredible. You know, James Merritt, who was the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, spoke at this year's convention. He said on Twitter, Ed Litton is a man of humility, honesty, and absolute integrity. He's exactly God's man for the hour to lead Southern Baptists. And thank God he's the one that was elected to lead us. Ignore the ants at the picnic. Well, guess what James Merritt said about plagiarism at the SBC Pastors Conference back in 2007. Let's listen to Cut Six. I love pastors, and I know that Father's Day is coming, and I want to give you something. If you'll go to pastorsedge.com and go to the newsletter section, there's a Father's Day message there, complete with PowerPoint, notes for your people, a complete manuscript, and I hereby authorize you to preach every word you're not plagiarizing, so just enjoy yourself, okay? But uh, tonight, I was given the topic of holiness. What? He was given the topic of holiness? Right after he says, oh, go ahead and just use it. You know, use it. Just use the sermon, use the transcript, use the PowerPoint. What is that all about? What does this say about the more widespread problem of ethics within the SBC? What What is this about? Why would he say such a thing back in 2007? Go ahead and use my sermon. Whatever happened to, we expect the pastors we are paying to study the word of God and bring us the word of God to do their own research and to do their own sermon preparation. Is that just no longer cool? Because I have a problem with that for more than one reason. And I find it shocking. And I wonder what else we're going to find out when we scour the bowels of the internet for more of this kind of information. It's just staggering. We'll be coming back. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT.
When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. When the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, I don't remember him saying, and if you need to lift it from another guy, feel free. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is admonitions for us to be holy as our Father in Heaven is holy. And I see all kinds of admonitions for Christians to obey the Lord and His commandments, which include do not lie, do not bear false witness. We are to have integrity. We are to have ethics. We are to have the highest morals of anybody on earth. Why? Because we are in Jesus Christ and because we are commanded to live lives of holiness before the Lord, because we bear his name. And as I'm looking at these new scandals coming out about Ed Litton saying he lied about his sermon preparation time, he told a story as a sermon illustration that he made up, and then this new video that's come out at Reformation Charlotte doing another side-by-side of Ed Litton taking material from J.D. Greer's Romans 13 sermon, you just wonder what's going to come down the pike next. But here's the real problem. Where are all these guys who are Ed Litton fans saying, I may like Ed Litton and I may have supported Ed Litton to become the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention, but no more. We can't put up with this. He has a serious deception problem. He does. He has a serious deception problem. It's not going to end well for him in terms of what people may be able to dig up in the future because where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes, guys. It's just the way it's gone. If you look at all kinds of scandals that have happened in the church and with some of these big guys in the pulpit, I just it's been my experience that if there's smoke, there's often a big raging fire too. And I don't know. I'm not trying to accuse anybody in advance of things that have not been proven or substantiated or unearthed. I'm just saying... You know, it, it, it just is not a good scene for the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think it is more than obvious that God's hand of judgment is on this denomination. And I don't blame any of the Southern Baptist Convention pastors who I've talked to in the last week who have said, we're out of there. We're going to get out of here. There, there's no way we can stay with this denomination. It's so corrupt. You know, it used to be Back in the 80s, for example, in the late 80s, if you remember the scandals with Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart, and I'm thinking of Swaggart in particular because that was such a huge news story at the time. Jimmy Swaggart, what a show he put on. He got up after he was 
exposed as having, you know, consorted with this prostitute and all this other stuff that went on at the time. And he stood up before the TV cameras. And I know it was in front of TV cameras, but he bawled. He just cried, my Lord, I have sinned. And he at least said all the right stuff and put on the show that is required when you are unearthed as having done the things that Swaggart did. Now, granted, he came back because they always come back and he should never have come back. But it's kind of like they skip the crying in the in the public repentance part now. It doesn't even happen. They put out a statement. They're like, ah, J.D. and I arranged ahead of time for me to plagiarize him, you know, but I'm a man of integrity. You don't let the people decide if he's a man of integrity and let the Lord decide if he's a man of integrity because a man of integrity would have cried and repented long ago and have resigned, knowing that he did what he did. How many more scandals do you need? How much more evidence do you need of this man's character to look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 and say this man is not above reproach? He should not be a pastor, much less be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. The other thing that really, really gets to me in all of this is you compare this to what happened to Richard Land. Now, a lot of you may not remember that whole incident, but I went back to the Baptist Press story about it in June of 2012. Richard Land had founded the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and he had been the head of that arm of the Southern Baptist Convention for many years. He got in big trouble. Let me go back to this story. And one of the reasons was plagiarism, which was far less overt than what we've seen from Ed Litton. Here's what the story said at the time. Two reprimands have been issued to Richard Land by the trustee executive committee of the ERLC. The ERLC trustee executive committee also is terminating Land's weekly call-in radio show, the venue where Land made comments about the Trayvon Martin killing that ignited intense controversy, prompting the formation of a trustee ad hoc investigative committee. The ERLC, led by Land since 1988, must, quote, redouble our efforts to heal reopened wounds, the executive committee said of Land's on-air comments about the intrusion of politics into the Trayvon Martin case and his references to President Obama and the Reverends Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson by name. At the outset of its reprimands and broadcast termination, the trustee committee stated that Land's statements were very hurtful and offensive to the Trayvon Martin family and to many in the African-American community. Damage was done to the state of race relations, etc. Now, the two reprimands of Land by the ERLC trustee executive committee state this. We reprimand Dr. Land for his racially charged words, and they go into all of that. And then they say, we further reprimand Dr. Land for quoting material without giving attribution on the Richard Land live radio show, thereby unwisely accepting practices that occur in the radio industry. And we acknowledge that instances of plagiarism occurred because of his carelessness and poor judgment. We examined Dr. Land's written work during the investigation, and we found no instances of plagiarism in any of Dr. Land's written work. As a Christian, a minister of the gospel of our Lord, and as president of the ERLC, Dr. Land should have conformed to a higher standard. We expect all future work of the ERLC to be above reproach in that regard. That's what the trustee executive committee said regarding plagiarism allegations against Land over material that he failed to attribute to a Washington Times columnist on his March 31st broadcast. They said, we have carefully considered the content and purpose of the Richard Land live broadcast. We find that they are not congruent with the mission of the ERLC. 
We also find that the controversy that erupted as a result of the March 31st broadcast and related matters requires the termination of that program. We hereby announce that the Richard Land live radio program will end as soon as possible within the bounds of our contracts with his network. That's what the ERLC did about Richard Land when he failed to give attribution in making some comments on his radio show. Let me just say something as an aside. This is way less egregious than what Lytton has done. Way less egregious. Because it is possible, and I always am very, 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 very careful. If I ever read something off a stack of articles that I've got, or if I'm quoting somebody, I always do my very best to do attribution and give credit where credit is due, not only because that's the right thing to do, but because I'm so much on the record as being violently opposed, emotionally so, to plagiarism. So, of course, I'm going to attribute. But I can understand in certain cases where there might be a time when you're doing a a live radio show and you might say something and you meant to read, oh, I actually got it from this article, and you just didn't do it right. That can happen. I I don't know that I have ever been guilty of doing that, but I have a little bit more understanding of why it might happen on a live radio show more than a pastor who has a team of eight men, as Ed Litton does, going through other people's sermons and just yanking all the material, and then Ed just regurgitates it, including the banter between sermon illustrations. And now he's on record as saying, oh yeah, you know, I lied about how many hours I spent preparing sermons and yeah, I made up a sermon illustration and, you know, here's another example of him using J.D. Greer's material. Does the guy have an original thought? Yeah, I'm serious. We are such in a low state of affairs in the church today. I don't care if you preach like Billy Graham. I don't care if you preach like the most famous man on the radio. Just preach your own stuff. If you don't have any spiritual wisdom to offer your congregation. Why are you there in the first place? It's not a performance. It's not a play. It's not a musical where you have to cram and, oh no, I don't know my lines. I better get it from some, get some help from my buddy over here. And so I I know what to say during the, that's not what it is. It's not a performance. You are preaching to an audience of one. You are preaching before a holy God who is omniscient and knows everything that you've been up to before you ever got up in front of that congregation. And if you are standing before a congregation of God's people and you are speaking for our holy God and you are misusing his name by lying and stealing from somebody in order to allegedly preach the word, then you are a disgrace. You don't belong in the ministry. You don't belong as the president of any denomination. You need to step down. And if we don't see Ed Linton step down and we don't see the SBC step in and make him step down, then you know exactly the state of the SBC, especially in light of what I just played that Dr. James Merritt said in 2007. Oh yeah, you know, my sermon's here, my transcript's here. Just go ahead and take whatever you want for Father's Day. Is that the attitude that the SBC elite have toward plagiarism? Because that is plagiarism, by the way, despite his remarks about, oh, as long as you don't plagiarize. That is plagiarism. If you're taking somebody else's material, do your own work. How hard is it? That's what you're paid to do. And, and, And where is the fear of God in all of it? It's just, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. It's so far beyond disheartening or sad. I don't like when people use the word sad for things like this. Don't use the word sad when the word outrageous is the correct term to use for an incident or incidents of these types. There's no excuse for any of it. None. And the only way they can ever restore any credibility whatsoever is to have that moment of crying and repentance and resignation and go away. 
That's the only way you'll ever have any credibility. You're the guys who said the world is watching, right? Well, the world is watching, but more than that, a holy God is watching. We got to leave it there. Thank you so much for being with us on Janet Mefford today. It's always an honor to have you with us. Hope you'll join us again soon. And thank you so much for listening. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.